people don't care about authenticity at all. They care about consistency. I'd like to welcome Seth going to the Productivity Podcast. Seth, thanks for joining me today. Every 10 years. Every 10 years. Here I am. <laughs> so the reason uh, Seth mentions this, of course, is um, back when I was doing my old podcast, which was back when I was doing Productivity Parody, Seth was one of my guests on the show, and I was playing the Stephen Colbert-esque kind of character, Mike Vardy, eventual productivity expert, and I was doing like a Colbert Rapport-style interview. And we just chatted about that before we got started. And, <laughs> and uh, I have to say that you were, the, you were a, a perfect, uh, perfect guest. We talked about kryptonite, I think, and, and, and things like that. It was, uh, but it's been a while. And I've become the I could talk thing. about kryptonite all day, I just got to say. <laughs> well, I've got my Green Lantern ring and all my Green Lantern stuff here going. So uh, maybe not kryptonite, but, you know, I think wood is the, uh, is the uh, enemy of the original Green Lantern. And now the, the color yellow. But, That's right. I was noticing you got post-its there. Green Green Lantern can't deal with post-its. No, he cannot deal with <laughs> he cannot deal with post-its. Um, hey, I want to uh, first talk about um, intent because uh, in the book, uh, the new book, the practice shipping creative work. There's a there's a section about intent. There's a there's and and one of the things I've said over the years that I believe productivity is it's about the marriage of intention and attention. Without you, you need to have both, but. You mentioned that most of the time, most of us act without intent. And I want to know how you think we can avoid that trap. Well, why would we act without intent? Because acting with intent puts us on the hook. If you announce to people you're driving to Cleveland and you never get to Cleveland, you're in trouble. Whereas if you're just going for a drive, doing your best, doing what the boss says, showing up and making the miles go by, no one ever says, why didn't you get to Cleveland? So it's obvious to me why we don't want to announce intent because we don't want to be on the hook. But it seems to me, if you're going to be a professional and you're going to do the work, the work is who is this for and what change do I seek to make? And if you can't answer those questions, then I think you should just stay home. There you go. Uh, the other thing you've said about intention and intentional action is that it requires assertion. And that was something as I was going through the book, I'm like, okay, I, the attention part, I've, I've, I've thought about, but assertion, why assertion? Why, why that word? Why did you choose to go with that? Because as soon as I, I unpacked them, like, this makes a lot of sense, but people who haven't read the book yet, they're probably not thinking that. So can we dive into that a little bit? So if you're doing any kind of work, there's a reason. And the reason is to make a change happen. And the change can be something as simple as I want $4 more in my bank account in 10 minutes than I have now. But the change is more likely something like I want to help someone who's afraid become less afraid, someone who's uh, inefficient become more efficient. These are changes. But changes, creative work that works on changes can never be sure. We're not doing the thing we did yesterday exactly the same. That would make us a cog in the system. We are doing something that might not work. Well, to do that, we make an assertion. We assert if I do X, Y will happen, but it might not. And that's the other thing that we're afraid of is that we don't want to make an assertion because we can't prove it. And so we feel like an imposter. And imposter syndrome is something that I've faced. You even mentioned the book, you faced it. How do we combat that kind of thing? Because I think, I think, let me rephrase that because I think we, it's something that we all face. I mean, if, 
if uh, no matter when, when you're doing something bigger, I think that gets greater, right? So can we can we fight it? Can we do we learn to dance with it? How does that work? Exactly. So nobody says to a running coach, how do I run a marathon without getting tired? It doesn't matter how much training you do and what kind of shape you're in, you're going to get tired when you run the marathon. That's the deal. If you don't, you're not trying hard enough. And the same thing is true with imposter syndrome. You can't make it go away. It's a symptom that you're doing the right thing. It's a symptom that you're leading. And so when it shows up, we say, thanks. Thanks for being here because you reminded me I'm onto something. You uh, you mentioned Derek Sivers in the book. You've had chats with Derek before, and and I actually had Derek on the podcast uh, not too long ago. I'll link to that in the show notes. And uh, Derek's just someone. Whenever I I've talked to him on a, on a couple of occasions, and I had the opportunity to meet him in person at a, at a conference in Portland. And there's just something about him that that's aspirational, <laughs> like just mm-hmm. the way that he operates. Um, yep. Do you have somebody that you that you look to and say, you know what, this, yeah. Like, is there someone like that for you? Or is there a couple people like that where you go, yeah, I, I like, I want to lean into, into that way of operating. Well, I actually published Derek's first book. Yeah. And um, you're wearing a green lantern ring. I, I am not a fan of Captain Marvel, but one thing that I like about Captain Marvel is the whole Shazam thing. Mm. Is there are six people in the Pantheon. You say their letters all in a row and you can get the best of each. And I probably have 40 of those and it doesn't spell a word and nothing happens when I say the word anyway, but mentors are really hard to find because it's an asymmetrical relationship that doesn't scale, but heroes, heroes are priceless because you can say to yourself, Oh, what would Leonard Nimoy do in this situation? What would Miles Davis do in this situation? What would Derek Sivers do in this situation? Go find those people. You never have to meet them. And there are elements that each person brings to the table that unlock postures for us. And so, you know, I grew up with great parents, but I also grew up in a modern art museum in Buffalo. And so I can imagine how Richard Serra or Andy Warhol or uh, Susan Rothenberg thinks about a moment. I can look at Joni Mitchell and her making Don Juan's Reckless Daughter and think about how it felt to be her in that moment. And I have no idea what it was actually like, but I could try. And if you can assemble that core, uh, you can go a long way with it. Talking about Derek for a second and his hell, his hell yeah or no philosophy, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've got a question from one of the readers of my uh, email newsletter because I asked them to send some questions because they knew I was going to talk to you. And Aaron Hockley says, do you have good examples of where you've eliminated decisions from your daily life that allow you to focus on more of the important things? And that's not like outsourcing, but just things that you've usually done on your own. I've eliminated an enormous number of decisions in my life. I haven't had uh, wheat or dairy or meat or chicken or cilantro in 25 years. I uh, write a blog post every single day. I don't have a blog post because it's my best blog ever. I have a blog post because it's tomorrow. Right. And I, I, I make these boundaries in so many areas of my life because the cognitive load of reconsidering is huge. And you end up, you know, 
catastrophizing slash justifying on a regular basis. If you strip all that away, you can't find a legitimate reason to do either. And the rules are really helpful. I'm curious about this because you mentioned you, you blog daily and I, I read your blog every day and a lot of questions that came in from people is like, how do you do it? How do you do it? But the one question that stood out for me from Wendy was, has the pandemic changed the blog, daily blogging at all? Like, has it changed the way you, you operate around it? Like, is there anything or is it just, that's just an aside and it's a circumstance of what's happening outside of what you've got going on and it doesn't affect it? The um, 2020, the tragic realization of racial injustice, the widespread cost of uh, health and the economy has changed everything for my day. Um, and some days it shows up in my blog and some days it doesn't, but, uh, turning 60, watching people around me become ill, never to recover, uh, watching people deal with a lifetime of frustration. These are, I mean, we're never going to go back to normal, but I think everybody wants 2020 to be behind them. And my blog is my blog, but it is not about me. And so I work hard when I'm writing it so that it's worth reading a year from now. And so it's not about what I had for breakfast or who I'm annoyed with or delighted with today. That's part of the discipline. Um, there have definitely been days when it was very hard for me to decide to share something with people because it's not about me, but it's been a slog. It's been a slog for a lot of people. I'm super lucky. But uh, it's interesting to be engaged in a pandemic because there's always trauma, there's always disappointment, there's always dead ends, but now everyone's feeling them at the same time. And I don't think we can ignore that fact. And there's a lot of uncertainty. More, It's so prevalent that uncertainty is at such a height and people are trying to find certainty wherever they can. And the practice is all about a level of certainty, right? Like it is like here's, so people who are struggling with that, like struggling with, you know, there's so much uncertainty. What can I do? Uh, what do you have to say to people who are struggling with just the overwhelming amount of uncertainty that they're having problems gaining any sort of certainty? A lot of it is a creation of the media. The amount of uncertainty that somebody faces in a small village where they make $3 a day and someone could die at any minute has been going around for 10,000 years. Uh, the amount of uncertainty that happened when people didn't know how to predict the weather and thought lightning just came from, I mean, go on and on and on. The world is safer and more reliable and stable than it has ever been in human history. But it feels the opposite of that in every way. And so I begin by saying, is it that it feels uncertain or it is uncertain? And then the second part is, uh, if you could embrace the uncertainty that comes from generous creative work, would the other elements of your life get better or worse? Because there's sort of a, a conservation of stress and a conservation of uncertainty. These might be laws of physics. And since the world's already upside down, you might as well lean into it and do something worth doing. I was talking to my friend, Chris Bailey. because you, you mentioned the word taste pops up in the book a few times. And Chris Bailey actually brought this up. He's the author of the Productivity Project and Hyperfocus. And he was saying that 
I think a lot of people follow his work because of his taste. Like they, they there's that. What what are your thoughts on taste? Because I, I mean, I think it plays. I think it does play a role. I just wonder, is it is it something that is so um, is is it is it as big a deal as maybe Chris or I think it is? Well, I was really I'm really proud of the fact that um, after a lot of research in which I could find no one with an adequate definition of good taste, I came up with one. So I'm happy to share that. Sure. Because uh, how can we talk about taste without knowing what it is? Yeah. Uh, in the Caribbean, there's an island called Aruba. Aruba used to be an oil uh, producing nation. And they were one of the last to get into tourism. And once they got into tourism, they realized they had a problem. And the problem was, even though they had ancient Dutch uh, connection, they didn't have a national dish. And all the good national dishes were taken. And if you want to be a tourist destination, you need a national dish. So their national dish, I'm not making this up, it's called Kishiyeni. And it is a chicken breast rolled around blue cheese. This is not good taste. No. <laughs> I think there are grapes involved as well. But the thing is, that's not for me to decide. And some people think it's delicious. So what is good taste anyway? It's not a universal construct. Good taste is simply knowing what your audience wants 10 minutes before they do. That's it. Or 10 days or 10 months, whatever. But just a little bit before they do. Because the audience changes around the world and through time. And so all that's left is to pioneer it just a little bit ahead of time. And uh, so I have no idea, because I haven't read Chris's work, whether he has good taste. But my guess is that what the audience is saying is, when I read what, some, what Chris writes, I didn't know it before I read it. And after I read it, I agree with it. I'll call that good taste. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. All right, now it's time to take a break from my conversation with Seth to talk about this episode's sponsors. Now, I like to send a lot of emails to the people who have emailed me. You know, I like to be able to be responsive. I want them to come from me. And the only way I'm able to manage that is by using Text Expander. And Text Expander doesn't just help me with sending off emails that are personalized, but also things that I normally would need to send to podcast guests, things like that. But it helps me get it right every single time. See, Text Expander makes it easy to give your team and yourself the right words for every situation. So whether you need to keep legal happy or delight customers with effective answers, which is what I try to do, you can rest easy knowing your team has it covered. 
The latest version of Text Expander even has new and improved statistics reporting for organizations, including the ability to build reports with customizable date ranges for enterprise and individuals so you can track how much time your team saves. With Text Expander, you can do a variety of things, including keeping your team consistent, accurate, and current. You can share your text and images with the whole staff to keep them on track. Everyone will share the same message and give the same answers to all customer questions, and consistency is key. They'll be able to work faster and smarter, and so will you. You can use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything that you type. You can create powerful snippets to save you time so that all you type is a short abbreviation, and Text Expander does the rest of the typing for you. For example, I can type in PD semicolon P and pop the Productivities Podcast pops up. You can keep your whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language. You can share your snippets of messaging, signatures, and descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you, and that's going to save you a ton of time. Text Expander is available for a wide variety of platforms as well. Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad. Text Expander has you covered. I want you to take the benefits of what Text Expander can offer you and leverage them like never before. So visit textexpander.com slash podcast and get 20% off your first year. All you need to do is go to textexpander.com slash podcast. Let them know through the dropdown that you heard about Text Expander from the Productivity Podcast and you'll get 20% off your first year. I cannot do without Text Expander and I know once you add it to your productivity toolkit, you'll feel the same way. Check out what Text Expander has to offer today. I want to talk to you about another another great tool that I've been using a lot more as of late and will continue to keep using, and it's SetApp. SetApp launched in beta in 2016 ahead of a full release in January 2017. So it's been around for a while, and it was founded by MacPaw, the company behind other popular Mac apps, including CleanMyMac and Gemini. The service has grown in terms of number of users, software vendors, and apps available since launch, and SetApp now has more than two hundred apps. In November of 2019, Setup for Teams was launched, which brought the Setup software library to teams of all sizes with a simple management tool and billing as well as integration with Jamf. Now, the best way for you to discover new quality apps and get all the tools you need to be successful and productive is Setup. It's a subscription for Mac apps. I've been using it. I've got a lot of the apps, Permute, Ulysses, there's so many apps that Setup has to offer. And Setup packs, again, over 200 high-quality apps into one. There's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in flow and finish what you started. And Setup now also allows you to take your projects to your iPhones and iPads with support for iOS companion apps for your Mac favorites. Again, like Ulysses, To-Do, and TaskHeat. And Setup has a dedicated creation team that only selects the highest quality apps, so you don't have to search for the best tools anymore. They're always ready and ready for you in Setup. There's also no question that Setup is a great value. Instead of paying thousands of dollars for separate licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee, and new apps are added to Setup regularly. Updates are free, and all the apps are full-featured pro versions, so there's no wonder... Whether or not you can use every aspect that an app has to offer with Setup, you get that. Now, I want you to head over to setup.com to try Setup free for a week. And if you like it, plans just start at $9.99 per month. You can use it for as long as it's useful for you. And I've been using it for a long time. It's still incredibly useful to me. And trust me, it'll continue to be useful for you as well. So head to Setup. That's S-E-T-A-P-P dot com right now and get that 
free trial for one week and then sign up for a plan at $9.99 per month. It's it's a no-brainer. Setup is a no-brainer. I use it. I love it. I know if you use it, you'll love it too. Check out Setup today. Okay, so I want to share with you the ability to take the last couple of months in 2020 or even the beginning of 2021 and really make a roadmap that's going to help you. And the now year wall calendar 2021 edition is going to do that. It's established from my partnership with the team at New Year, and it's a wall calendar that comes in both a tall and wide format to help you plan out your year. And it's based on my time crafting methodology, which includes monthly themes, daily themes, uh, the uh, annual axiom, all of those things, including a new designed habit tracker and a new URL that gives you guidelines and other ways to use the wall calendar. Now, all you need to do to get your now here wall calendar is go to productivityist.com slash new year and then enter the discount code podcast to get your 10% off, 10% off your order. Look, 2020 is rapidly coming to a close, so it's time to start planning the next year now. And you can do that with a now year wall calendar. So check it out. Go to productivityist.com slash new year and then Enter the discount code podcast to get 10% off your order upon checkout. Get the Now Year Wall Calendar today. It's going to make the next year that much sweeter. And now let's get back to my conversation with Seth Godin here on the Productivityist podcast. Casey Proctor has a question. I'm actually interested in this too. All the questions that, that have been sent to me that I'm asking are ones I was particularly interested in. So what is something that intimidates you that you've never tried before that you want to try before you die? Yeah, I just don't like talking about me. There's a whole bunch of things on that list, but they're not they're not as useful as you might think. I think what's more interesting is uh, why do we feel this tension between the thing that intimidates us and our need to try it? Because there are many things that intimidate me that I have no need to try whatsoever. Right. Like skydiving. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I'm in the same boat, mainly because of life insurance reasons, but... Yeah, I mean, but I've had surgery on both shoulders. Nothing good would happen if I jumped out of an airplane and I don't feel any itch or need to do so. And I was intimidated to go to TED. This was before TED was famous, before they were on video. Mm -hmm. And I was intimidated because I had been blackballed for 10 years with no one telling me why I wasn't invited. And then um, 20 years ago, no, 15 years ago, they invited me. And then once you're done with it, you realize it wasn't that intimidating to begin with now that you're on the other side. And then you either say, I never need to do that again, or how do I do that again? And this need to level up is not universal, but a bunch of people have it. And I like to use surfing uh, as a metaphor. I have surfed once. It was something that intimidated me and I wanted to do it before I died. Uh, I got up, I surfed in, and I said, okay, I'll just watch everybody else now because more surfing would not make me happier. But a friend of mine um, was good at nine foot waves and went on a trip and took a ferry. And the ferry goes once a week to this island in Indonesia with a surfing village on it. And he got there and discovered that the waves were 20 feet tall. This is someone who's only surfed nine feet waves. And you got to stay there for a week. There's no way home. And now he can surf 20-foot waves. And that process is what makes many of us human, which is, I can't do that. I won't do that. 
I did that. I'd like to do that again. And what we probably should do is find paths like that, that are actually generous to other people. Yeah. I think to, to your point, you know, there's this idea that there's lots of things we can try. There's lots of things that are probably, but I look, I think about Dr. Henry cloud in his book, necessary endings, like there's the rose bush analogy, right? Like if you try to have every rose grow on the bush, none of them are going to thrive. So you have to decide, okay, this one is the one I'm not going to. Sorry, I know you're a healthy rose, but I'm not going to. Has there been um, one thing that I've done during, during these times of uncertainty uh, is, is embrace new things. Like I have started gardening and I started woodworking, things I never thought I would do. And I've found elements in those things that I can relate to my work. So for example, I was watching, you know, those master class classes the uh and so i watched the 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 gangsta gardener one uh ron and he uh, he's a good guy i he, hung out with him he, he it was it was the one thing and again taste like i'm like this guy makes me want to learn about gardening and he i'm sure this has been said many times before but he said look feed the soil let the soil feed the plants he goes if you're growing for like mass quantities then yeah feed the plants because but if you're growing for your family feed the soil let the soil feed the plants and i'm sitting there I'm watching this. I'm going, I do this with my time management stuff. I say, you know, you set this, you, you, you set up your themes and then you let that, that template, that foundation feed the tasks. What in your, like, this is what happened to me personally, but you must've found instances. And I've seen this through your writing. You talk about professional wrestling not too long ago. And it, like, you must see this happen all the time that you, that helps you feed your own work too. Right. Oh, that wasn't what I expected. Uh, for me, and then tell me what you expected. <laughs> I, what I expected was, if I feed my readers, my readers feed me. Mm. That what inspires me, what motivates me, what gives me insights are my readers. And so, not only don't I charge for my blog, I would pay people to read my blog if I had to, because this ability to have this asymmetrical one-sided conversation with a million people is such a privilege. And if I can make the culture around me better, more erudite, more intellectual, more generous, I come out ahead, right? And so that's the way I think through Ron's point about feeding the soil. Yeah, and for me, it was definitely the the obviously related directly to my, my framework that I teach. And so it was just fast. Same thing with woodworking measure twice, cut once, right? Like those lessons that seem to apply so succinctly to the one area seem to, you can, you, if you're creative, you can, and you embrace that, you lean into that, then you can find, and this goes back to when we first chatted, when I was doing the productivity parody stuff, like it was the combination of me trying to be more productive watching Colbert and then merging those two things together and going, wait a minute, life hacks are, there's so much productivity porn out there right now that it's keeping people from being productive. Um, You talk about hacks in the book too. You talk about the story of Hackney and and all that stuff. And I, the term life hack just drives me (laughs) nuts because hack means to cut without care. What, (laughs) <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on, especially when you talk about hacks in the book, like life hacks. What are your thoughts? <laughs> okay. All right. So let's put a pin in this for one minute. Cause we need to talk about woodworking. Um, All right. I just, I just finished building a 16 foot cedar strip canoe in my backyard. Wow. Chestnut prospector shape. 
but the tool industry really came out ahead on this project because <laughs> every time that there was a tool that I needed that I did not have, I purchased it. And I purchased a smoothing plane. I own like nine planes, but I purchased a smoothing plane mm. from Austria. And it is the single best tool I have ever owned. It is magnificent. It's this block of wood with a blade at just the right angle. And it brings off shaves of cedar so thin you can see through them. And to hold the right tool for the right job, that's 10 times more important to me than measure twice, cut once, 10 times more. Because if I have the right tool, I can cut twice, right? That's but fair. The, the right tool for the right job and part of the challenge of the internet is it showed up with this sledgehammer and people are using it on everything. Yeah. And it makes so much more sense to have the right tool for the right job. You know, it's funny. The people at Astro House gave me this thing, the free one. Oh, yeah, I have one of those. I love this thing. It's it to me. It's 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 absolutely the biggest thing is when it's sunny outside. I can write on my deck when and I know that there's nothing else that and I've written more on that thing in the last month than I wrote yeah. in drafts on my iPad anywhere else. I that absolutely the, that tool is now indispensable to me. Yeah, I mean, ha putting email onto ebook readers is the death of of ebooks because there's always something more interesting than the book you're reading because it just went ding yep. and you can go read it. Yeah. And we can't keep I, up. We can't keep up with, because every time the, the, I mean, and I, I'm, that, that's where I come from. I come from the technology world where I was writing for the next web and cult of Mac. And every time that there's a software update, the device goes, no, 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 no. We want you to get these things. So we're going to fix what you made your own and make it ours again. And then you're spending time. That's why I no longer have the Apple watch. And I just put this nice little tiny time machine on my wrist to say I love now uh, it's true. It's, it's, you know, I don't need those districts. If I want email, I know where to go. I don't want it to be yeah. anywhere else. Yeah. It works for you. You don't work for it. All right. So back to life hacks. Yes. The word hack means three different things from different origins. And we got to be really clear here. Uh, hacking a computer not the same as cracking a computer. Hacking a computer means uh, not listening to what the manufacturer said, but going directly to what works. And so hacking a computer is actually a good thing. Cracking a computer is a crim criminal activity. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then there's the hack of the London cab driver comes in my book. I explain the origin from the borough of Hackney. Has nothing to do with hacking away at right. anything. A hack is a horse that does its job. And being a hack is a fine thing to be. You trade your time for money. You do what the crowd wants. The, the fact is, if you go to a casino after COVID and you hear the Doobie Brothers play, they're playing covers of their music from the 70s. They're not the Doobie Brothers anymore. They're a cover band. They're hacks. And they're getting paid for it. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing. And then the third kind of hack is the hack of hack, you know, hacking away at something. Mm. So the question is, what is a life hack? Is a life hack the direct computer thing of, I don't care what the normal system is, I'm going directly for where I need to go? Is a hack of, this is what the audience wants and I'm giving it to them? Or is a hack this idea of, I'm regardless of what's right, I'm just working my way through stuff. It's all three. So, so most of the people who are doing the good life hack stuff um, like 
I don't know if you have a copper mat for your grill, but you need to get a copper mat for your grill because it's a hack and it works great. For $8, you get nine of them. Nothing fits, falls through. You can even cook dosa and souffle on, and pancakes on your grill. You're like, what could be bad? I have no complaints about that kind of hack. But the kind of hack I think you're talking about, the one that says I'm measuring the wrong thing, but I'm measuring it really well, I got no time for that. None. Uh, I want to talk about email because we talked about Derek Sivers and Derek had a, a mission to, he answers his emails. You answer your emails too. I mean, there's- Don't say that I answer my emails because <laughs> I don't want anyone to send me one. <laughs> um, but inbox zero. I have long been uh, against this this mission, mainly because the the coining of that term, Merlin Mann, I think, coined the term, and he did not mean what it's become. It's been bastardized. Um, you talk about it in the book. Can you can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on Inbox Zero? Because I've said it, and and it'd be great to hear you say your thoughts. Because I I think that there is merit to it to a point but i think there's a i think there's a, a um a disparate like a, a disconnect between quantitative and qualitative productivity when it comes to inbox zero yeah okay so first if you'd see merlin send my regards we backed and forth years ago super cool guy he is um as someone who has answered 175,000 emails in my career uh i am proud of inbox zero because having inbox 3,842 is malpractice. Uh, because what you're doing is you're letting an open API with a FIFO uh, organization take control of your life. And I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, but for me, email is a trap. And it's a trap because I can do a what seems like a really good job of answering my email in the sense that seven years later, Someone will come up to me and say, I wrote you an email and you wrote back. You're a great guy. And at the end of the day, I'll think, wow, I got a lot done today. I'm at inbox zero. But but I produced nothing that was scary. I made no art. I didn't challenge any convention and I didn't put myself on the hook. And so I'm hiding out in my inbox. And if you're not hiding in your inbox because you have in, you know, email inbox 3,800, you're hiding somewhere else. We all have a place to hide. And I guess part of modern productivity needs to be useful hacks for getting through the things you have to do, and then powerful organization that force you to give up your hiding places. I have two devices on my desk here. I have these writer's blocks that I make on my laser Glowforge. They take uh, five and a half hours to make a set. Wow. And I have this. <laughs> says am i stalling <laughs> and i intentionally did not glow forge it because that would have been stalling i just spent eight <laughs> seconds to write it with a sharpie let's talk about authenticity before we before we close out because i know we're we're almost done you know that you can get a rant out of me on that i know <laughs> <laughs> and i'm gonna so you talk about the book about about authenticity and how it's a trap so i've got the first question is, is why is it a trap? Why do you believe it to be a trap? And then Stephen Pressfield's got a book called The Authentic Swing. So there's some authenticity there. So there is, how does, how did that reconcile? My dear friend, Stephen, I do not agree about all things, but here we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
two problems with authenticity. Number one, you believe it lets you off the hook because you get to say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do. And if people don't get it tough because you're being authentic. And two, uh, it's a problem because people don't care about authenticity at all. They care about consistency. You do not want an authentic lawyer, an authentic entertainer, an authentic surgeon, an authentic deli chef. You want a consistent one. That's what you signed up for. You want the best version of that person, regardless of whether they're in a bad mood or not. So people who say I was just being authentic are actually saying, I hate you for not liking me the way I just was and requiring me to care about you when I did my work. So I'm way more in favor of consistency than authenticity. So how do you show up every day? How do you show up? How do you be consistent? That's, that's, that's right. a tricky it's, thing. It's work. Yep. Good for you. You don't dig latrines for a living. Good for you. You don't work in a steel mill. Good for you that you're not foraging for food and, you know, living without a home because you get all these, you get to listen to podcasts, you get to work indoors, you get free snacks. And you know what the price is? The price is you got to show up even when you don't feel like it. Final question. The practice. What's one simple action? It may not be easy, but it's simple. that Someone can take today to start developing the practice today. Do it with someone else. Well, there you go. Find somebody. Everyone that's listening right now, find someone. Seth, this has been an absolute treat. Thanks so much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it. Where can people pick up the book and keep up with you? Uh, there's previews, excerpts, and links at trustyourself.com, which was the original title for the book, and I own the domain, so I might as well use it. Trustyourself.com. And my blog is at Seth's Stop Blog. Thanks again, Seth Godin, for joining me today on the Productivity Podcast. An absolute pleasure. Be well. Thanks for doing this. Cheers.